All right, are you guys ready for some good, good news today? You know, I feel bad. I mean, I got the greatest job in the world. Every Sunday, good news. I'm just, I'm just the deliverer of good news every week. It's not, I'm not like the evening news, no bad news, good news. How many know the gospel is? Someone's got to do it. Why don't you guys join me? We just run around and tell everybody good news. Today is especially good news. I mean, there's good news and then there's mind-boggling good news. Are you guys ready for some mind-boggling good news? In fact, this good news is such good news, you and I can never hope to get our brains around it without the help of the Holy Spirit, which is why I'm glad we emphasized His presence so much, because we're just too dense to get our brains around the depth of what we're going to get in today. So are you ready for the Holy Spirit to help us? And how many of you know it's not about getting a bunch of facts in our head. How many of you know when we get truth in our head, it should drip into our hearts and it should inspire passion for Jesus? Like if what you learn doesn't make you love Jesus more, you're just becoming a pharisaical smarty pants. And how many of you know the world does not need pharisaical smarty pants? We need people on fire for Jesus. Y'all with me on that? So I just pray that what happens today, Lord, let it inspire our hearts to love Jesus more. All right? Open up your Bibles to number six. We're in a series now on supernatural blessing. And I'm telling you, whenever we preach the Word of God, there's obviously a purpose and intent behind it. Uh, Part of what I'm trying to do in this series is establish us in the supernatural blessing of God over His people. How many of you know one of our core values here is generosity? We want to be generous. We want to love well. We want to give. We want to be people that believe that God is more than enough. How many of you believe He's the God of leftovers? I mean, is anybody else stunned besides me that when Jesus performed that miracle, He could have performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and it could have said everybody ate what they wanted and there was just enough. That's the way it could have ended, but that's not the way it ended, and that's not the way it ended when he fed the 4,000. How many of you know he intentionally had leftovers? Now, why did he do that? Because he's God, and because he's trying to tell us something about himself, and I'm telling you, he is not the God of just enough. He is the God of more than enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's really good news right there. Just tell him that, all right? Now, if we believe it, it gets even better news, all right? He's the God of more than enough. Now, I share with you this amazing blessing that God instructed the priest to speak over his covenant people, Israel, and it was a blessing that was phenomenal. It was six-fold blessing. God invokes his name three times over them, and he says that when the priest declared the blessing, that God himself would bless the people, all right? Here was that blessing. Follow along on the screen. Or read along in your Bibles if you've got them this morning. May the Lord bless you. How many of you are glad for the blessing of God on your life? How about this one? Anybody need some protection? May He protect you. May He smile on you. Aren't you glad that the face of God is one that is a smile, not a frown? That He's happy over you. He rejoices in you. Are you ready for this deep thought? He likes you. We know God's supposed to love us, but I got even better news. He actually likes you. That's really good news. And he smiles over us. And he's gracious to us. Aren't you thankful for that? And he shows you his favor. 
the favor of God is when God reaches down and places his hand of blessing on you and that the purposes of God in your life and in my life are, are then unstoppable because how many know the favor of God is unstoppable. It means that God is moving to bless what you're doing because you're in line with him, which leads us to the last one here. May he give you peace. We said peace was not just nice emotional feelings of calmness. Peace is when God brings divine alignment and order into our lives and we are moving in harmony with him and we're under the blessing of, of the kingdom and the, the uh, blessing is a blessing of peace. It means there's order, things are established. How many of you know when you get your, like, your house in order, your taxes in order, your stuff in order. There's a sense of calmness that comes because it's like, ah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, if you're like us, that lasts for about 30 seconds and then the craziness hits again and we're running after the peace trying to find it. But peace in the kingdom of God just simply means you're undercover and you're living in proper alignment with God. Am I speaking to the right crowd this morning? How many of you want to be under the authority of Jesus and you want to be moving in harmony with what God's doing? I'm telling you, if, that'll be, if that's you, you'll move in these blessings of God. Now, here's the bigger question that I want to ask you this morning. These blessings were spoken over God's covenant people, and I told you the blessings are for you, but I have a theological question I would like to probe this morning. How in the world can you claim blessings that God spoke over his unique covenant people under the old covenant? How can you claim and walk in those blessings when you are a Gentile? That's the biblical, you know, Jew-Gentile, right? Everybody in this room is either a Jew or a Gentile. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. So the question is, how do we get in on those blessings? Now, there has to be good theological reason for this. We can't just pull it out of the sky. And, I, and my desire today is that we lay a foundation for the preciousness of the blessing and the favor of God upon our lives, the promises of God in our lives. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, because Paul's going to highlight the problem with us Gentiles. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Everybody say outsider. That's not a warm and fuzzy term, is it? Nobody wants to be an outsider. In fact, that's part of why we do starting point. We want you that you're new here. We don't want you to feel like outsiders. We want you to be insiders. Well, the problem is the Gentiles were outsiders. How about this one? You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. All right. I told you we had good news this morning. That, that's not part of it, all right? But that's, that's the... That's the derogatory term that Jews had for Gentiles. How many of you know the Jews went the other way and they got all full of pride? And in fact, it says here in the next verse, look at what it says. They were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Now, circumcision was, again, the sign of covenant. But God was trying to show them that the covenant had to get beyond the flesh and actually get into their hearts, all right? But here's the problem. Gentiles are still outsiders, and look, it goes on, it gets worse. In those days, verse 12, you were living apart from Christ. That's not good. You were excluded. So now we're outsiders, we're heathens, and we're excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And it says here, you did not even know the covenant promises that God had made to them, let alone be able to enjoy them and benefit from them. And here, this gets to be, this last verse is very damning. You lived in this world without God, and without hope. I mean, you know, it doesn't get much more serious than that. 
As Gentiles, we not only were outside of the covenant blessings of God, we also had no God, no relationship with God, and we also had no hope. We were outsiders. We were excluded. We were heathens, as it says here in this translation, New Living Translation. I mean, you know, that's a bad place to be. So how in the world do people that fit those qualifications become blessed of God? How do we move into this supernatural blessing that I'm preaching about? I also want to pause right here and realize that, you know, we live, in a, we live in a world today, especially the American culture, that basically makes it sound like everybody's blessed, that God wants to bless everybody. And I just want to say this as a half-truth, because how many of you know we're not, if you're unsaved, you're a Gentile, you're outside of the covenant, there's, you're not living under the blessing of God, you're actually living under the curse. So it sounds good to, tell, to walk around telling everybody, like we're handing out gospel lollipops, but the truth of the matter is very serious. Jesus came for a specific reason, and he died for a specific reason. And the truth of the matter is you're either blessed and under the covenant or you're cursed. And can I just remind all of us that if we're outside of Christ and outside of relationship with Jesus, then, then we are under the curse of God. Well, pastor, why wouldn't we be under the curse of God? We're under sin. We're, and in fact, I'm talking to people who are by nature sinners. By nature, we're rebels. By nature, we want nothing to do with God. Am I talking to the right crowd here? Now, this is who we were by nature. It took the Holy Spirit chasing us down, working on us, bringing us to the cross, and opening our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. I mean, by nature, we are God-haters, and the Bible says we're objects of His wrath. You say, well, God's not a wrathful God. The wrath of God is an expression of His holiness and of His love. It's His perfect justice being displayed in the lives of people who hate Him and want nothing to do with Him. That's the wrath of God. That's why Jesus is coming. He's going to bring justice. And we, this, these are sobering things. And so I never want to be flippant when we talk about the blessing of God. You know, some people, you go up to Christians and say, oh, yeah, bless, 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 bless. Well, you might be, but I just want to make sure you get it. Because there's some serious, serious action taken by God to bring us from a place of cursing to a place of blessing. Like, how many of you know we celebrate the freedom we have in this country, and many people uh, completely blow over the fact that so many of our founding fathers literally shed their blood and gave their lives to preserve and to establish this great nation that we have that's rooted in liberty, all right? So there's, there's bloodshed, there's sacrifice, there's cost involved. How many of you know we flip on the light switch back there? Well, guess what? We get electricity. That, that is the result of incredible hours of sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice to understand and breakthrough so it can be translated, and we just flip the switch. I'm standing up there today watching the air conditioning unit blowing my hair around. I hope it's not a mess, but anyway, um, I'm up there going, wow, it's actually a little chilly over here in this corner. How many of you are grateful for chilliness when it's super hot outside? You know, somebody just took a little thing and pointed at there, and guess what? Cold air came out of there. We should never take cold air for granted. I've been in lots of nations of the world where it's really hot. But you know what? There's so many blessings we have. And sometimes we have to pause. And here's the question I'm asking. How in the world did we go from being an outsider to an insider? How do we go from being a heathen to being sons and daughters of the Most High God? How do we have the gateway of God's, all of God's covenant blessings open to us to partake of and to be part of? That's the question I want to dive into this morning. 
Look with me at Romans 8, 31 and 32. This is where we're going to camp out for the rest of the morning. Romans 8, 31 and 32. Read along with me. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? We'll get to those these in just a moment. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Now, by the time Paul, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 8, how many of you, that's one of your favorite chapters of the Bible. I love Romans chapter 8. But by the time Paul gets to verse 31, he's almost speechless. We don't have time to go to the other previous 30 verses, but I'm going to give you the overview. How many of you know Romans 8 starts off with this great declaration? All of us who are now in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation over our lives anymore. Condemnation's gone. Uh, We are under the favor of God. I mean, you know, that's good news right there. No condemnation. How about this one? It goes on to say that now you've received the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to live as a slave to sin any longer. There's a power in you that causes you to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And there's a power in you to become the very person that Christ called you to be. How many of you know that's good news? We get the Holy Spirit. We're no longer slaves to sinful desires. Praise the Lord. How about this one? God says all things are now working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How many of you are glad to know that the favor of heaven is now at your back, that God is for you, that he's working out every little detail of your life for his glory and for your good? That's what the Bible says. Nothing is happening by accident or chance. God is for you. He's working out all things for your good. This is that we could pause right there. That is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And then he goes into this amazing golden chain of redemption. He says, you know, God knew you from before the foundation of the world. He said, God predestined you to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He called us when we were spiritually dead and had no hope of life. We were cut off from God. How about this? He justified us freely by his grace through faith. Praise God. Declared righteous just as if I'd never sinned. We're being conformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ. And if that's not good enough, he says, you know what? The day is coming when you're going to be glorified. Even as Jesus' body came out of the ground, your body's going to come out of the ground. You're going to get a new, improved version of you. We're going to spend eternity enjoying this planet without sin, with Jesus reigning as king in perfect fellowship with him and in perfect fellowship with each other. No sin, no sickness, no disease, no nothing. Our future is amazingly bright. So... We get to all these promises, and Paul is practically out of breath. He's speechless by the time he gets to verse 31. And that's why he says this, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? He's trying to summarize. He's trying to put words around what just took place. And more importantly, what does it mean to us as believers? And look at what he says. Here's his summary. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Can we just pause right here? If you're in Christ Jesus, the good news of the gospel is this, God is for you. Now, I'm going to juxtapose that truth because I want it to sink in. Can anybody think of a more hideous declaration, a more sorrowful, a more terrible declaration than this? God is against you. 
I just want to sit under that for a moment. God is against you. I can't think of any more words of doom and gloom than knowing that the creator of the universe, my personal creator, is against me, working against me, fighting against me. Ultimately, he's my enemy and I'm his enemy and ultimately I will stand before him someday and I will experience the full justice that I deserve. How many of you know on planet Earth there's only two categories of people? There's people whom God is for and there's people whom God is against. So how many of you know if, if you're sitting here and there's any question in your mind about that issue, it might be a good idea to solve that today. Like get that squared away. Because there's no better news than God for you. There's no worse news than God against you. How many of you know like for instance in James it says this, help me out, God resists the so if you're, what is a proud person? A proud person is self-sufficient, self-reliant. They, they don't need a savior. They don't need God. They don't need to submit to anybody. They're the captain of their own ship, blah, 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 blah. God says to those types of people, he's actively working against you. I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning if I knew that God was actively working against me. You know, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, I know some people, they say, you know, it just seems like sometimes unsaved people, they just got it all together, they got all the money, and blah, nah, 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 and, and everything. No, the Bible says this, the way of those folks is slippery. And if you want to see the success of their life and the blessing on their life, just, just go to the Strack and Van Til checkout line and pick up some of the magazines there, and you can see how blessed everybody is in Hollywood. They have in the self-sufficient, prideful life. No, the way of godless people is hard, and it's painful, and it's misery. How many of you know the wages of sin is ultimately death, but you feel like you're dead along the way until you actually finally experience death? I never will forget standing out in the parking lot with a guy my dad was ministering to, had a rough, rough go of it, hooked on drugs, uh, alcohol, a cutter. Sometimes he'd show up on, on our back porch when we were growing up, and he'd knock on the door, and the door would be covered in blood because he, he sliced his arms up so bad. And I was out in the parking lot standing to him, ministering to him one night, and, uh, and he, was, he was drunk. Again, by the grace of God, that was, that, that was not the way I had to go. Um, my dad was standing there with him, and all of a sudden, he's talking to us, and he just falls forward like this, face down on the asphalt, passed out. My dad looked at me at that moment, he said, look at what you missed. Because the young people today, you know, we want to play around with all that crap. We want to play around with the drugs. We want to play around with the drinking. We want to play around with all that like it's the good life. That man was laying there face down, a life that's broken because sin destroys you. Sin robs you. And that was my dad's witty way of saying, look at all that you missed. What he was really saying is, praise God for grace, for mercy. And that you inherited a whole different life. And it wasn't condemning this poor guy because we stayed with him and loved him until the end. But that was a picture of the brokenness and the bondage of what happens in sin. And when people refuse to turn and submit back to God and come to him, that's the life that you inherit. And ultimately, you inherit separation from God himself, which is a tragedy. But the good news is this. God is for us. Now, I want to ask you this question. How do we know God is for us? 
Look at verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Now, if I was going to ask you, what is the obstacle, what is the gigantic mountain that keeps us on the outside of the promises of God instead of being on the inside, that keeps us outside as, not, as heathens instead of being inside as covenant partners with God. What is the obstacle? I'll tell you, one of the greatest obstacles is the mountain of sin that separates you and I from a holy and righteous God. You know, the Bible says God is so holy, he does not, he cannot even look upon sin. How would we ever enjoy him? How would we ever experience his blessing? How could we ever experience his favor, his grace, his kindness, if the Bible says that I'm a sinner and, and that my sin is so offensive to God, he cannot even look upon it, let alone have a relationship with me? How do I ever overcome that? Well, that's a huge obstacle that Jesus overcame for us on the cross. But I'm talking to you this morning about what is God's greatest obstacle. Can I tell you what God's greatest obstacle is? It's his unparalleled, unbridled, matchless, fiery, white-hot love for his only precious son, Jesus. How in the world are we supposed to come into relationship with God if it means that the obstacle between us and him is the... His willingness to give up his only precious son. Now, there's folks in here who have lost children, and I don't know of anything more painful than losing a child. But I'll tell you this. There's no relationship in all of eternity that has ever been on the same level of the love that God has for his son and the love that Jesus has for his father. Look at everything Jesus did while he was on this earth, why he came. Sometimes you say, well, Jesus came for us. Let me just correct your theology a little bit. We were the overflow of why Jesus came. Jesus came for his father. Jesus lived a life that was marked by one goal, pleasing his father. Why did he do all that he did? Why did he love the way that he loved? Why did he endure all the suffering that he endured? For one reason, it was out of matchless, unbridled affection for his heavenly Father. And the Bible says this, Jesus, when he died that sinless uh, death on the cross, he restored the glory that was due to his dad because of the way we had trampled and mistreated our relationship with God and treated it as nothing. But Jesus loved his Father, and the Father loved the Son. In fact, there's two passages in the Bible that are absolutely remarkable. If you could imagine, you know, I, I'm, I'm a parent of eight kids. I, all my kids have performed in different things, whether it's music or sports. And how many of you know sometimes you can hardly keep the affection in your heart? You just let right now, you guys are watching your kids out there on the softball diamond. They do something good. That's my girl! That's my girl! You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I get so excited, I get so proud of my kids, not so much for what they do, but for who they are. I love them for who they are, and I love seeing the gifts of God in their life. There's two moments in the Bible when God got so excited about what his son was doing, he couldn't contain it. I love those passages. One is when Jesus was baptized. Y'all remember that? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He never sinned. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus perfectly fulfilled everything that God required of us without sin, all right? So he's baptized. He comes up out of the water, and I love this. This is Matthew three seventeen. God says, that's my dearly loved son 
who brings me great joy. Don't you love the heart of God? That's him. Now, the Bible says everybody didn't understand. They just heard like loud. What was that? But how many of you know Jesus understood? Because Jesus was getting ready to go into the wilderness. Jesus was getting ready to face the most incredible challenge for our salvation. One mistake, everything's gone. One sin, everything's gone. But the father wanted him to know, that's my boy. I'm proud of you. And how about this? You bring me great joy. Can I just give us some parenting helps here today? If your kids know that they're dearly beloved and that you're proud of them, how many of you know that, that they bring you joy? They're going to turn out pretty good. Yes, I'm just telling you, some of you need to hear this today, that God loves you and he's proud of you and that your life brings him great joy. That's why the smile of God is upon you, because that's how God feels about you. And then you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory of God contained inside this human flesh could not hold back Jesus and his beauty. And out of Christ comes this translucent light that's so bright it's blinding. The glory of the Lord. And you remember what happened at that moment. God spoke again. He said, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud, God's voice, the Father's voice said this, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. And then he gave him an endorsement. He said, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. You know, when you have your father's endorsement, when he believes in you, when he says, son, uh, I, I'm endorsing, I'm backing you up, I'm standing behind you. That's what God the Father is saying. This is my boy, listen to him. He's the savior of the world. He's the light of the world. This was the obstacle, the massive mountain that God had to overcome. And here's the question, would a holy God be willing to hand over his beloved and only son to endure the worst torture imaginable so that the price of our sins would be paid in full and we could be justified boldly before God? If God was willing to do something that hard, then how many of you know we could boldly declare God is for me and God is for you? I want you to look at the logic of this argument. It begins with the greater and moves to the lesser. It, it, it argues from the hard and then moves to the easy. Now, how many of you remember last week I was talking about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, and, uh, and the disciples had just experienced that with Jesus, and then they're in the boat, they're getting ready to go across the lake, I'll remember that, and they forgot the lunch, and they started fighting about the lunch. Now, here's the point. Jesus looks at them like, guys, I just fed like 60,000 people and you're arguing over a happy meal. If I could feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not including women and children, with five loaves and two fish, can't I provide lunch for you? In other words, if I could do the hard thing, why can't you trust me for the little thing? What I'm trying to establish in our hearts today is God did the hardest thing to bring us into a position where his favor and blessing is released on us. Jesus was the gateway of the favor of God. 
Jesus was the open door to every single promise in the book that's ours, to covenant relationship. No longer outsiders, but insiders. No longer heathens, sons and daughters. No longer excluded, included family. And he did the hardest thing. Why can't we trust him for the little things? Why can't we trust him to meet our needs, to help our kids go to school, to get clothes, to shoes, to pay bills? Why can't we trust him for the stuff like lilies and sparrows when he has done the hardest thing in handing over his beloved son to swing the gates of heaven wide open so we could be favored and blessed? That's the heart of God. Quit arguing about happy meals when God says the kingdom is yours. I used to get so frustrated with my kids because we go out to eat, we we get a Coke, and, and one of the kids would be t- taking drinks of each other's Coke. Stop it, she drank mine. I'm like, there's a machine over there with an endless supply of Coke. Who cares if she took a drink? You can fill it and refill it and refill it and dump it on the floor if you want and refill it. There is an endless supply of Coca-Cola over there. But we're going to fight. She touched my Coke. She sucked on my Coke. Listen to me. There is an endless supply of the favor and goodness and kindness and blessing and protection of God available for his people and God is for you. 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 God's for you. God's for you. That's it, it, How do I know, Pastor? Because he gave us the hardest thing. He overcame the greatest obstacle, his affection for his son, Jesus. He paid the greatest price. Look at Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Look at Acts 2.23. God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. That's us. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. So, so here's the deal. What's the everything else that's promised? It says here, he who did not even spare his son but gave him up for all, won't he also give us everything else? What, what are the everything else's? I want to encourage you today, if you do not know of your status with God, this is a simple process. The Lord says this, I want you to repent and turn from your sin. Return, turn from everything you've looked to for satisfaction. All the counterfeits, turn, repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Uh, give him your life and then choose faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. This makes us in a situation where we're, we're united with him. Now I want you to see this. There's people today, popular people today, that are saying we shouldn't be preaching from the old covenant, from the Old Testament. I keep banging my head against the wall saying, why would you throw away all of the promises and blessings from the old covenant? Why don't we bring them into the new covenant? And the Bible says an even greater covenant covenant in the New Testament. You don't throw away the old to embrace the new. You take them all. You take them all. Look at what this says. Galatians 3.29. Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to 
How many of you know we're going to get into this next week? God made some amazing promises to Abraham. He said, if you're in Christ, those promises are yours. How do we know that the ironic blessing in number six applies to us today? Because those promises are mine in Christ. Does this make sense? I've heard people say, well, you know, pastor, you know, National Day of Prayer, if my people are called by my name, the humble himself, well, that, we can't really claim that because that was given to God's people, Israel, uh, back in the Old Covenant. Yes, but I inherited all those promises from God through Christ, Abraham's seed, in the New Covenant. I'm claiming that one, that God can still turn nations back to him. God can still heal, heal lands, and that his heart has not changed. In fact, his heart is wide open to us. Is this making sense to anybody? That's what the Bible says. You are the true children of Abraham now that you belong to Christ. We are now heirs. God's promise to Abraham, ours. Reach out and grab it. Look at the next verse. Acts, uh, or, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally, everybody say equally, in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Are you guys seeing it this morning? All of those promises under the old covenant, they're ours because of what Jesus did for us, because of the fact that God is for us. Now look with me, so I'm ending here, 2 Corinthians one twenty. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Jesus. That is why it is through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, I need you all to help me preach this sermon this morning. You guys ready? You've been, you've been too quiet. I know, I'm going to put you to work. Your message only has one word. It's the word yes. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to preach to me. But I don't want you to just go like, yes. I want you to say it like a good preacher. How about this? Like you mean it. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to say, yes. Like, yes. Of course, yes. All right, everybody try it. Perfect. I like that volume, too. I don't want any wimpy yeses. All right, here we go. Here's the question. I'm going to talk to the Lord, but you're going to declare God's yes. Does that make sense? So no, no pressure. You're being God today. Don't screw it up. All right? You need, to, you need to be passionate. All right? How about this? Lord, will you forgive me? Yes. Whoa, that was powerful. How about this one? Father, will you accept me? Yes. Mm, this is good. How about this one? Do I belong? Yes. The gospel really is good news. How about this? How about this one? Father, do you love me? Yes. Mm, I felt that. How about this one? Father, will you help me change? Yes. I'm getting confident now. How about this? Father, can you free me? Yes. Father, can you heal me? Yes. Father, will you give me the power to live for you? Father, will you give me eternal life? Yes. I'm happy. (laughs) 
But here's what I want you to see. The yes from the Father comes from Jesus. Jesus gives the yes to the Son, and the yes from the Son is because he died and took our place so that we could come in to right standing with him. And I'm gonna end with this, it's so important. Our yes, or God's yes to us, needs to be followed by another yes, it's called amen. Because everything that you guys just said to me is worthless if there's no agreement. I hear people all the time, I just don't know if God will forgive me. Did you ever hear about the cross? What? These are Christians. These are Christians. I don't know how God could, could forgive me. I don't know if I could ever. I don't know if God will do this. I don't know. The promises of God in Christ are not maybe. They're but the yes needs to find agreement. And the agreement is your faith saying, I come into agreement. Which means this, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ that I invite him to be my Lord and Savior, the Bible declares that I'm a new creation, that the old has passed away and I'm in Christ. That's what God says. It's yes in Christ. What he wants from me is I receive it, I believe it and I'm going to walk into it. You know, it's interesting to me. The purpose of all these blessings is not that we become blessing hogs, you know? I got this little, I got this little uh, chipmunk that keeps emptying my bird feeder. He runs up there, and he literally his cheeks are as big as his body when he's done. He runs down, and I'm surprised he can hardly get his head off the ground. And then I'm like, dude, you just stole all the seed. In five minutes, he emptied it, and he is back with double cheeks. Now, let me just tell you, that is a good orientation toward the promises of God. We should be filling both cheeks, all right? But can I share something else with you? The blessing of this comes when we receive it for the purpose of giving it away. Now, I did, I did not even think of this until in the act of preaching first service. I was like, Lord, that is amazing. So I'm going to give you what I just got. What happened when Jesus fed the multitudes? What did he do? He blessed it. He broke it. He put it in the hands of the 12. What did they do? They, they walked out, broke it. They went down the line. They fed people, right? They didn't eat first. They worked. And they were hungry. Remember, that's why they're just like, remember their compassion? Tell them to go, Jesus. Tell them to get out of here. Uh, we're hungry, remember? We're supposed to be getting away with you. They were starving, but Jesus put them to work. What did they do? They gave it away. I'm sure they were looking at that like, oh, we just take a little snack. But no, they were giving it away. And do you remember how that ended? Jesus gave a giant basket of, do of take-home doggy goods, you know, doggy bag, giant basket of leftovers. How many were there? One for each of the guys giving it away. There were no refrigerators. Jesus, th this is extravagant. They couldn't eat all of that if they tried. 
the message is this. If we'll take the blessing of God and love people and serve people and give it away and give it away and move in generosity and believe that he's more than enough, believe that he's got my back, believe that he's for me, he's for me, he's for me. I can love, I can serve, I can care. He's for me, he's for me. Guess what? At the end of the day, I got a doggy bag full of leftovers. I couldn't eat it all if I tried. That is the nature of God. Overflowing, leftovers, more than enough. Anybody want to live in that realm, in that, in that arena? Ah, oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing good news. Help us to get it from here down into our spirits, Lord. And I ask you, Father, that living stones as your people, God, that we would be marked with extravagant affection for you and Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that we would be radical lovers of people. And God, may we never limit you. May we continue to stick our necks out in faith and believe you for the next great thing and the next great thing and the next opportunity. Lord, I pray you'd fill your people today with great vision to believe you for areas in their life right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to move in your blessing. Thank you that we're now insiders and not outsiders. And thank you now for the opportunity to leave here and to go out and, and love people and love people well. So I pray blessing, Lord, on our beautiful congregation today, blessing on the meetings that are coming up, marriage class at four, starting point at four, quarry tonight at six. Lord, bless these gatherings. May they be powerful. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.